a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, everyone. I'm William Hosea. Welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast and our 15th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. And I'm Beverly Callender Anderson, and in today's broadcast, we'll discuss how agencies and individuals are working diligently during this COVID-19 pandemic to safeguard a group of our community's most vulnerable, those who are experiencing homelessness and extreme poverty. On June 15th, we aired a conversation with representatives from several Monroe County organizations that are working together to alleviate the suffering that homeless and low-income residents might experience due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Participating in that conversation were Forrest Gilmore, Executive Director of Shalom Community Center, Amber Scobie, Executive Director of the Bloomington Housing Authority, and Nicole Johnson, a community activist living in the Crestmont area. And with the recent spikes of the coronavirus in neighboring states, we felt that it would be a good time to invite them back to see how effective their interventions and mitigation efforts have been in helping those who feel marginalized and are at high risk during this COVID-19 pandemic. And with that, Forrest, Amber, and Nicole, welcome back to Bring It On. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Beverly, you want to go ahead and get this started? Sure. I just want to get started by asking um, Amber and Forrest and Nicole a little bit about what they have been doing during the pandemic um, in their in their respective fields and what they've been doing differently uh, to help safeguard members of our community. And Amber, we'll start with you. Great, um, thanks for having me today. Um, at the Bloomington Housing Authority, we have been an essential business and we have been open um, serving our families um, this entire time, even though our office has been close to the public and we've recently allowed folks to make appointments and come into the office if needed. Um, most of what we've been doing is um, income changes and recertification. So anytime a family um, loses uh, work hours, loses income, loses a job, um, we recalculate the portion of rent that they pay. And that portion of rent should always be 30% of their adjusted monthly income um, or a minimum rent amount of, of $50 a month. So we've been really busy um, processing a lot of those changes, um, making sure those housing costs are stabilized um, for those who have um, just, you know, experienced a change in employment and income. We have been implementing some technology to make sure that we can do things electronically um, and still you know, function even though we're not meeting face-to-face -face or able to exchange paperwork like we did. Um, forced us to do a lot of innovative things, uh, which has been good. Um, there was a little bit of a silver lining through all of this. Um, we've also been, you know, making sure our, our um, properties were completing emergency work orders 
we're expanding um, upon that and we're doing some health and safety work orders at this time. Um, and yeah, now I think we move into um, making sure that we continue that stability. There are some eviction moratoriums that are ending perhaps at the state and federal level um, at the end of July. And so working to make sure um, we're educating folks on on that deadline and some resources if, if they are having issues um, meeting their rent obligations and also communicating with landlords that participate in our program about what they can do to make sure um, that, you know, they can collect rent as best they can, but we're not evicting lots of our community members. Right. And um, I'm going to move over to Forrest, but full disclosure, Forrest and I have been working together on, on one of the projects. But Forrest, I want to have you talk about um, the kinds of things you've been doing um, with the um, people experiencing homelessness in our, in our community. Yeah, thank you, uh, Beverly and William, for having having me on. It's good, it's good to be with you. Um, probably the biggest thing that we've done, and this is the project that you're talking about, Beverly, that we work together on, is is um, you know is a response to a basic question: is what uh, do we do? Um, you know, when the major recommendation is if you get this illness or you might have this illness, what do you, you know you're supposed to isolate your home and and protect yourself. What do you do when you don't have a people, how do you create safety for those folks uh, who don't have a home so that they can isolate and how can you protect um, other people who also don't have a home. Uh, and so uh, one of the very first things we did starting back in March is uh, work with other shelters in the community, work with United Way to and the city and others to, to uh, create a, um, an isolation shelter, a place where people could uh, go who are who've been tested uh, um, positive, who have tested positive for the illness, who um, are awaiting testing or who have been exposed. So we've been in uh, three different locations now. We started out on, on Hillside, a, a, a warehouse we re-fabbed re down there basically to, and to move back into. And then, um, uh, then we were in the travel lodge for a while and now we're in Motel 6 and we'll be there probably for another month or so until we'll need to move on from Motel 6 to a new location after that. Um, so that's been the, the, the big thing. How, how do we keep people safe? How do we uh, help people stay out of the, the, the homeless, you know, how do we help people step out of the homeless population if they're, if they're uh, at risk? How do we protect others from folks? You know, on top of that, there have been other just as important, but very, but more day-to-day uh, -day kind of things that we've been really doing. Uh, health screens, you know, at entry in, into the shelters, just, you know, testing for symptoms, doing temperature checks, um, hand washing, uh, uh, um, masks, requiring masks of, 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 of folks who come into the services and, and seek uh, things. Uh, we Friends Place moved to a new location is actually now at the Hillside site, our overnight shelter, so people could spread out. So a lot of different strategies, all with the, the intent and the purpose of keeping people as safe as possible um, as long as we can. Yeah, and um, just again, wanted to uh, say kudos to, to you, to the other shelters uh, in the area. Um, 
learning today that um, there's only been one positive to COVID test in among the homeless that have been in the shelter. I think that's remarkable um, after having over 300, you know, people experiencing homelessness in the community. Uh, and so the the health screenings and the temperature checks, the hand washing, the all of the hygiene education has really gone a long way to uh, keep that population safe and healthy, um, especially knowing that some of them have pre-existing conditions and um, you know whether that's age or diabetes or some other medical condition, um, that's really great. So hats off to you all. I have a question for the Reverend real quick. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> has been one positive test uh, result so far, correct? Yeah, that's correct. One positive. Uh, we've had four people at the shelter who have tested positive, but only one just this past week um, who was actually in the homeless population. The other three were people who became homeless because uh -huh. of the disease. So they tested positive and then they couldn't return to where they had been staying. Um, and then this is the first one of someone who is actively uh, already homeless and, and in the shelter system. So do you know how many were tested and um, does anyone have any have current stats on uh, testing and results in Monroe County? Yeah, we know that we, we've had 22 people since the beginning in the isolation shelter. I think that's the right number that might be slightly higher than that, but it's in that range um, right now. and. Uh, and so, you know, of those, uh, the 18 of those tested negative and four tested positive. So um, that's, that's the number we're aware of that have been tested because uh, everyone who, um, that we're aware of who's experiencing homelessness, uh, we've referred them to uh, the isolation shelter uh, yeah. to just await that testing. So that's how many we know. And so they, and they were tested because they were exposed to COVID or they were showing some symptoms. Yeah. yeah, exactly, showing symptoms. Although the number I just realized, of course, is that one the one shelter where this person tested positive uh, just recently, um, they ended up testing the whole shelter um, and we're still waiting results on those uh, folks. The two people who were a roommate of this a person who tested positive, they have both since tested negative. And, um, but the, the rate of, um, false negatives is very high early in the illness. So, mm -hmm. so we're going to have to keep a, uh, an, an eye on, on those two folks, um, as well as people who are at that shelter, just to keep watching and keep watching for symptoms and, uh, and to make sure that, that we don't have an outbreak. What about uh, stats from Monroe County? Can anyone speak to that? No, I probably can't. Have to I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you what I've read. <laughs> That's good. Uh, okay, well, I know that the B Square Beacon just did some uh, recent numbers where they compared uh, Monroe County to the rest of the country, um, and they or rest of the uh, the state. Sorry, and um, they said that our numbers we've seen our testing numbers double the last two months in a row. And then, but while our cases have a lower percentage of positive cases to the total number tested, um, then the rest of the state, our positives have a higher mortality rate. So they're more likely to actually die from the disease, which is not promising for Monroe County. <laughs> That's 
Well, and Nicole, while we while we have you talking, I just want to um, let you talk about some of the things that you're doing um, in that Crestmont area. And and you know, you don't you don't have an agency behind you, but you seem to have an army uh, behind you. So. Um, I have an amazing group of folks behind me, um, and uh, that is the Monroe County Mutual Aid Group on Facebook. It's over 5,000 strong. Um, it was started by Abby Yang and Jesse Tang uh, at the beginning of this event. Um, my organizations would not exist without it. Um, it is where um, a tremendous amount of support, um, both material in the form of Donations to Pigeon Hill Pantry, one of my projects, um, which is a, a non-food uh, item. So a, it's a it's a non-EBT item, something that would complement EBT um, pantry for folks living in Crestmont and Reverend Butler up here on Pigeon Hill. And then um, it also has offered a lot of um, just like, I don't know, advertisement really more than anything uh, for mutual aid masks, which is my countywide uh, initiative uh, to mask individuals regardless of their ability to pay for a mask. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that has extended to organizations serving vulnerable populations as well at this point. Yeah, so Nicole, what, what made you at the, at the beginning of this pandemic or, or at whatever point you um, got involved, what made you just wake up one morning and and say, I need to do this? Well, um, I guess the long and the short of it is, is that um, I kind of uh, operate my life along the, uh, I believe in mutual aid. It's, a, it's part of a political ideology. Mm -hmm. And that's part of my political ideology. Um, whether or not I'm able to, uh, extend that to my family, my neighbors, or my whole county, uh, uh, or my friends, or whatever group, uh, depends upon what uh, I'm able to offer at any given time, which changes for individuals. And uh, with the onset of this pandemic, uh, lots, of lots of things stopped. And so it allowed for a little bit more um, outreach. Uh, I just, it just, I think priorities shifted in me um, too as well. Uh, you know, I, it's, it has a lot to do with being a member of a low income, being a member of the low income community in Bloomington. I use a lot of these services and I also feel the need to uh, pay it forward to give back into that. And that's what mutual aid is about. It's a mutually beneficial situation. It doesn't harm the uh, person giving and it doesn't harm the person receiving. Um, it's, you know, all according to ability and need. Well, thank you so much for, for everything you're doing. I, you know, I, I mean, and both, both projects, the, the pantry and the uh, mass drive are so useful. I mean, they're just, the mass drive is saving lives. You know, the pantry is keeping people you know, stocked and in supplies that they need. And so um, all of that is, is so important. So thank you so much. Nicole, with uh, mutual aid consisting of 5,000 members, it's not like you were lacking any exposure or anything, but 
after the show we did on the 15th of June, we did have a few people call in and asking about you and your organization, uh, one of whom is co-anchoring with me today. So I want to ask if you formed any new alliances or partnerships since your interview on, on June the 15th. With the masks, I'm still um, in a situation where, well, okay, so the, both of the projects are in various stages of development. Um, Pigeon Hill Pantry is very much self-sustaining. It's going on beautifully. Um, uh, there's, I'm working with uh, the Bloomington Housing Residents uh, uh, Council, uh, Bloomington Housing Authority, BHART. Um, as well as uh, I've been in contact with the Little Free Pantry Bloomington, uh, which is the, the local steward organization of the Little Free Pantries, and we're working with that. And I've also been recently reached out to by All Options, and I'm going to get ready to be collaborating with them in some way that we're developing. Um, but uh, the Mutual Aid Masks is, uh, first of all, I just wanted to say really quick, it's not a mask drive. So I don't take donations on a regular basis of masks. Um, mutual aid masks is a, I do have volunteers who help with various pieces of sewing. It's pieced out into piecework. So some people might be cutting, some people might be ironing, some people might be sewing. Um, and there may be various numbers from just me and another person to six or 12 people, depending on the project or what is going on. So it's very, we have a baseline of, uh, we have a, a, a queue, so a list. Um, you contact us, you get in line, when your name comes up and your mask is done, you get called and you get your mask. And they're all, it's all made in-house um, and then uh, through the process of all the people. And then at that point, uh, then we also have a, a second queue, which is for organizations now for larger bulk orders, when they, uh, like Community Kitchen um, or whatnot. And then they, uh, so that they go into that queue. And then I also do project work. So like I've been, um, I worked with Black Lives Matter Bloomington to supply a mask to Crestmont early on um, through an outreach that they did with Easter baskets. I was at the um, Enough is Enough rally, um, and I did it work as a distribution hub at Enough is Enough route for the Enough is Enough rally and a march um, as a group. So Selena was amazing with her outreach, and, and Selena Drake, and she, we had over, I know my station was only one of the two stations and we brought uh, over a hundred and almost 200 masks and we had over 800 more masks donated to our station. So I know that we get, and we gave out all of them. So, you know, like I personally over a thousand, I stopped counting at a thousand. Once I hit a thousand, I was just like, I, it doesn't matter. Um, but at my one location that day, that one day went out, um, went through my hands, which was amazing. And then I was also at the Black Lives Matter uh, Bloomington uh, Juneteenth, uh, where we supplied a gross with the help of uh, some local uh, BIPOC, BIPOC uh, mask makers as well. Um, and that was also a joint effort. So um, yeah, it's been, a, there's, but I don't have funding from an organization, that's that's something that we're uh, I'm exploring at this time, and um, I have you know uh, I'm spending a lot of time sewing, so it's not been able to go as fast as far as like figuring out funding as I'd like. Okay, if you are just tuning in, we're speaking with Forrest Gilmore, Executive Director of Shalom Community Center, 
Amber Scobie, Executive Director of the Bloomington Housing Authority, and Nicole Johnson from Mutual Aid Mass, a community activist living in the Crestmont area. Um, one of the reasons that this show is so important and one of the reasons why it's, it's really good to have you all on is because in many different situations, crisis or no crisis, the first ones to be left out are homeless and low income. Um, so I, I want to put this question out to all three of you. If we end up in either a prolonged shutdown or a second shutdown, are you prepared to dig in and do what you do for the long haul? Let's not all jump at once. <laughs> I can start on this. Um, so at the Housing Authority, we are primarily backed with federal monies from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And, you know, although it's been a wild ride for these past few months, you know, we are have a long history in the community and um, good backing. I will be frank that, you know, eventually if we see increases in housing assistance need, um, you know, the money could run out um, based on current funding levels. So, you know, we encourage folks and work through our industry groups to be advocates. So, you know, there's uh, a housing bill on the first that was passed in the House and it's on its way to the Senate and it will have an increase in funding. Also, um, the COVID-19 um, release bill, the CARES Act funding was a huge help for us um, to stabilize our operations and invest in different uh, technology needs, staffing needs um, to make it through this. But most of that um, expires at the end of the calendar year. So, you know, I would just be open about the funding that it takes to have a really prolonged response and the need to advocate at the federal level for the program. I'm proud of our staff about the sort of innovation we've done um, and we are continuing to improve on how we can still serve our clients um, and meet the need with you know, different software tools, um, different uses of technology, different ways of doing customer service. Um, and, you know, I'd also just say just continuing to do all the ed education with our our families, um, with our landlords. We've learned a lot. Um, and speaking from like a public health point of view, you know, thank goodness for folks like Nicole and the community that's out doing a lot of really grassroots work with our residents that maybe don't feel comfortable approaching the housing authority. Um, but, you know, that neighbor to neighbor connection is so valuable right now. And you know, we continue to work with our community partners. We can't do it all at the Housing Authority. And it's so valuable that we have all these social service agencies and others um, providing resources to our families as well. And we'll just try to keep building on it. And it's tough, but we, we have to rise to the occasion and, and we're prepared to do that fully. Forrest, what about you and the isolation shelter? Yeah, I think there's a couple uh, of really interesting things going on and challenging things with the future and what's going on. I, I do think we're, um, you know, looking at a situation that's already showing signs of being worse than the first round, um, if you can call it the first round, if we even had a first versus second round here. But um, but uh, there's a couple. Of, there's one, at least one clear advantage of being where we are now, as opposed to back in March, which is. Um, 
is we've been through this for a couple of months. So we have like processes in place, we have infrastructure in place, you know, just we've learned uh, how to do this well and do this better. And so that's a, a real uh, advantage. I think the disadvantage now is that um, we've been through this for now four months or so. And um, and so in the beginning, there was this just tremendous drive in the community, tremendous sense of energy and, and uh, uh, fear, uh, passion, uh, uh, fire around helping um, and, and trying to limit this as much as possible. And, and now we've kind of faded into more of a um, maybe a less sense of threat, more of a sense of normalcy. Uh, and, and that's, that's going to be a challenge because that, that capacity that was there three months ago really made it possible for us to get uh, to where we are now. Um, we're also um, very likely on the edge of a uh, of an of, of an eviction catastrophe, and um, and that's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens uh, around that. Not interesting, but but potentially horrible. But um, so so that adds a whole other layer uh, to this to see what happens, especially uh, with that uh, that could could lead to a homelessness crisis. And, a, and um, a potential for lots of doubling up and things like that, that could even lead to more exposure. Um, so, so uh, it's going to be interesting and challenging and and um, and a struggle. I I, I want to say we're prepared, but there's also a whole lot of unknown in front of us. And uh, one thing I know is that our community is strong, and our community has met the challenge so far, and I think we'll continue to. But uh, but there's a lot of unknowns in front of us, so we need to be prepared and, and motivated. Um, yeah, so when I was speaking last time, I, I was mentioning how um, we're, we're trying to figure out um, how to become more permanent. And because I believe masks are going to be here for a hot minute. Um, and so that is something that I'm definitely looking uh, to do is to... Um, try to reach out and at least get some kind of uh, community support uh, more than just uh, from donations from folks who have the wherewithal. Um, uh, but the, pa the, pa the pantry is self-sufficient. I think that will continue just fine forward and we'll be able to, uh, there's lots of organizations that are interested in, in collaborating, like I mentioned, and that's just, so that's pretty good. But I really feel like one of the reasons why we are where we are right now with our numbers, with us having a lower percentage positives per tested is because of the mask wearing in our community early on. That is starting to relax if you've been to the stores recently. Also, we have record numbers enrolled at IU coming to campus in August. And that is going to introduce a lot of new genetic <laughs> material one way to into our world. Yeah. And people need to really wear masks, in my yeah. opinion. And so I think we need to really remember that that's coming. No, um, mm. Reverend Gilmore, you hit on something that I, I, I've been saying for a little while now, that this kind of forced us to look into new techniques and practices which are becoming the new normal. But the downside 
as you and Nicole both alluded to, is people are becoming complacent, desensitized to, to what we're facing. And a few weeks back, you could see it when we saw, in addition to the civil rights protests, you had people protesting, especially in the state of Michigan, against the, the shutdown, wearing face masks, uh, isolation. And so that sense of urgency in the beginning, like you said, made it uh, possible for you to get the resources that you needed. But as that sense of urgency fades, your, your job is gonna become a lot harder, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. That uh, that um, new normal. I mean, even even I and my staff, we're all kind of you know tired. <laughs> we've this has been a, a long run. We've all been going extra um, to kind of uh, keep us safe. So that that starts to wear on you, um, wear on us. Um, I'm I'm uh, getting a vacation next week, and I'm probably going to sleep for a week. And it's just. You know, we just need to remember that we need self-care. We need to uh, take care of ourselves uh, because this is becoming a long-haul challenge. Um, and yet, just like you said, we cannot become complacent. We cannot suddenly forget or get more casual. Or we need to remember that this is a deadly disease, and uh, we're just seeing the front end of it. Um, I, 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 seeing some of those you talked about the numbers in neighboring states and. And seeing now that we're seeing uh, new caseloads that's uh, higher than we've ever seen on a daily basis um, since the beginning, I, I'm I'm very fearful that, the, for example, what we saw in New York City uh, goes national. You know that that kind of uh, uh, threat, um, that kind of um, mortality, that kind of impact on the healthcare system, that that goes uh, throughout the entire country. Um, that that could just be devastating. Um, uh, and so, so we, we absolutely need to pay attention, take this seriously, continue to practice basic precautions. Um, it's not that hard to put a mask on. <laughs> Nicole has done a great job. If you need a mask, <laughs> you know she's a she's a great resource to get a mask. And there's many. And you know we're back up to supplies now. Where where even masks can can uh, can do can get that for businesses that require masks. We really want to encourage that. So. Um, but but absolutely, let's um, let's pay attention. Let's wear masks, and it's not just masks. Social distancing is really important. Keeping that six to ten feet distancing as you can. But also, you know, it's basics. Wash your hands. Continue to wash your hands. Continue to watch for events you're touching your face and things like that. And uh, just just remember these basics um, of, of of how we take care of ourselves and how we prevent the spread of disease. Also, I just want to, you know, make a shout out to the the uh, location at the Armory here in Bloomington uh, that they are doing uh, regular testing, and so it's 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 a really easy lhi.care to go out and get regularly tested there. They're not having any requirements. The tests are free. I was I got tested this morning for the second time so far, um, and I was in and out in five minutes. You know, I parked my car, went up, got tested. Uh, and was was done. And uh, these are also the gentle swabs. So some people, <laughs> some of the earlier tests were much more painful. These are the gentle uh, tests. And so so there's really uh, no reason at all. They're free, open to anyone. You don't have to have symptoms. You don't have to be from a vulnerable population uh, to go and get tested. So that's a great way to to uh, find out one if you've been exposed, and if you have been exposed, you know, and you do have the illness, but then then isolate um, prior to, you know, if symptoms aren't showing up. So 
So I really strongly encourage people to do that. Or as you mentioned, um, being tired, and, and, and I feel you, uh, <laughs> I'm right there with you, um, but, and also self-care. But I do know that Shalom Center and so many other agencies have used volunteers um, to help supplement some of the staff. And with the, uh, with the pandemic, uh, that was cut down, that vol you're, you're not using as many, if any, volunteers right now. Um, so when do you think you, well, and I know that some of the volunteers were in some of the vulnerable populations as well. So, so when do you think volunteers might be able to come back and um, start to work again um, in the agencies and maybe take some of that load off of uh, staff? Because I do know, you know that burnout is real and, and you can only push your body so far, um, so. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, I, I I love Nicole lifting up mutual aid. We've had sixteen. We have a, a, every year about sixteen hundred volunteers um, throughout the year. So we we our staff is about forty people. Sixteen hundred volunteers. This is a volunteer driven organization, <laughs> and um, and it cannot survive without the the passion and energy and 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 uh, the smarts of of our volunteer crowd. And, um, and our volunteer uh, base in terms of on the ground uh, work dropped probably 90% with this and rightfully uh, this is you know dangerous people need to limit uh, their exposure to, to isolate to quarantine um, themselves. Right now we do have a very you know a, a base level of volunteers that are still coming in and, and or and some that have started to come come back. We're generally trying to, um, uh, discourage people from vulnerable populations from volunteering and encourage people who who don't have uh, high risk factors uh, to come in to keep us going and keep us um, functioning. We've had to limit services. We've had to rely on some financial resources to up our um, you know our staffing levels in order to compensate. Um, and so we're trying to do our best to get through. But if this does continue, um, I mean we. We were doing outside services. We were doing uh, meals outside at our day shelter. Um, we're back in serving inside, but if this number starts to spike, we're going to have to return to outside services again. Um, but everyone in the building right now is required to wear masks, including all the volunteers, as a way of uh, keeping people safe. Um, people washing their hands and, and uh, you know regular practices like that um, to really make sure that people are safe. So. So, um, so in short, uh, this it's you know it's risky, uh, and we've also done a lot of recourse precautions that have kept uh, the virus out of uh, the homeless population, and so um, so that's uh, an indication to some degree that we're doing really well mm -hmm. at limiting the illness um, and its spread. Our volunteers, um, you know, uh, obviously they haven't. No one in our volunteer base has contracted the illness either, so. Um, so that's just an, an, an emphasis that we're doing our best to keep keep safe in a risky world. Yeah. I have a question uh, that's either going to make you cringe or just start answering uncontrollably. What are your frustrations with leadership at the federal level? Amber, you look like you want to go first. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh gosh. Um, 
Um, just lack of leadership in terms of, um, you know, I look at the numbers of the rise in cases as compared to other uh, nations and not recognizing the issue for what it is, not following science. Um, that's a big one. Um, listening to experts, public health experts, um, you know, just being that um, voice of, um, you know, bringing people together and using common sense. Um, I think from a housing point of view, the president um, tweeted on July 2nd about dismantling the Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing Act, which is a component um, of the Fair Housing Act that was passed after um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was killed. Um, I'm pretty fired up about that right now. Um, I think that the insults are coming all over for um, housing and low-income families and I'm just trying to use that as fuel to keep doing good work in the community and keeping a good advocate for our voucher families and our public housing families. Um, but just keeps coming and like Forrest said, it just I'm exhausted. It's it's a lot, and I just um, want some leadership that um, is different, radically different. See what I mean, Nicole. Um, yeah, following science. Following science is what I would like to see my leaders do. <laughs> Follow science. Mandate masks. That's just not at a federal level either. Yeah. That can be done at any level. I'd like to see any of my leaders. As a Bloomington resident, as a Monroe County resident, as an Indiana state resident, there's lots of levels. Science. Reverend Gilmore. I think just to echo what Nicole just said, I think I, I think it's uh, fascinating to see that two uh, Indiana counties already have required masks uh, uh, countywide. Uh, state of Pennsylvania just required masks throughout the state. So. This is not a far-fetched idea. It's a very simple, basic, protective measure that we've been so behind as a nation on and just understanding the power of a mask. You know, the power of a mask is a life-saving device. And, and so just we're gonna lift that up. And I, and I, I will say that, uh, that the, uh, the, the mask response in our community, the production of masks in our community, I think is a huge reason uh, yes. that we've had so a uh, few positives um, in the community as a whole, but also within the homeless population. Just got to lift that up. That that the community uh, rallied around to make that to make that happen, and that's just extraordinary. I'll just add to what you know. You know, federally, what what's I think the biggest thing is that this is a public health issue. It did not need to be a partisan issue. It did not need to be a political issue, and somehow it got manipulated by our president into a, an, an attempt to get political points and to divide the country in a way that it did not have to ha happen. This did not need to be happening. We do not have to have some kind of social divide over the use of masks. We know they work. Let's wear them. You know, let's, let's uh, just, just to have that voice that says, be safe, America. <laughs> you know, let's protect ourselves. Let's care about each other. Let's, 
let's uh, take care of our, our seniors instead of looking at them as some kind of uh, massive uh, cost on the economy. Let's look at like how do we take care of our elders? How do we take care of our seniors and our community, um, as well as other people who are vulnerable? Vulnerable, but you know, just everybody. This is this is an opportunity to uh, show how great our country can be, and instead it's become a battle over over uh, political points, and uh, and that goes right to the top. Yeah. And, and I've got a question sort of on the opposite end of that is what is it that the community can do to support your work? What individually, whether that's at a county or a city level, um, how can how can we be supported locally? Because it it seems as if we don't have a lot to depend on federally and that most things are, are, are going to be done locally. And so how can community members or local government support what you're doing? From a, a broad perspective, um, you know, donate to Mutual Aid Masks on Facebook. There's a way to <laughs> um, send some money to the good work that Nicole is doing. Um, housing level, um, you know, the resources that are being um, put available for rent assistance are huge. We have to think of those who aren't on programs like housing authority programs, um, section eight assistance, public housing, where the rent re is reflective of one's income. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of folks that are, you know, still considered, you know, lower moderate income without some of these federal um, security systems in place. I think that, you know, a lot of uh, rent assistance is needed. Um, also being bold in terms of providing housing opportunities in areas um, of high opportunity. This hospital site is huge. I think as a community, we need to demand that there are opportunities to build um, housing that serves families that are at income levels you know, we, we speak in this term um, in the housing world of AMI, area median income. So 30 to 60% of area median income is really hard to supply, um, but we can do it. And it just, you know, needs to have some leadership and some resources behind it. Um, I'd also, you know, love to see more folks in the property management world accept housing choice vouchers and um, when they're screening families not look at um, a criminal history from 20 years ago but you know uh, relaxing the rules on that um, not putting so much emphasis on a credit score um, looking at other ways a family can show responsibility and commitment to pay rent um, i think those are you know all things that we should be talking about and, and really considering at the local level that can make a huge difference. I have a question I want to throw out to uh, all three of you, if, if you want to answer, because some of you, it may affect what you do, some uh, not so much. But considering many low-income families have children in school, do you have concerns about the start of the school year? Yeah, um, I I don't have any kids 
um, non attending school. Well, I don't have kids, but so I definitely don't have any attending school. But um, I um, know the school corporation has put out some um, draft plans for reopening. And, you know, I think like none of us can really write a, a plan or feel like all risk is taken out of the equation. So I don't have any answers, but um, I just, yeah, it is, it's just concerning. Um, and, you know, hopefully we're following best practices. Yeah. Yeah. Nicole? I can speak to that as a mom and as a mother of children, children who are in school age um, and what I know about mask wearing. Um, and that is that we have the school corporation um, saying that mask will be required, which is wonderful. Um, we also have a charter school in our area that is making masks optional. They'll be available, but they are optional. That's a problem to me. Uh, that's a problem for me. A serious, serious problem for me that we're teaching our kids that, but you know, I don't know how that that's I'm not up on enough of that to get around that my school is going to require masks if we do uh, my my kids are on scholarship at Harmony Education Center Harmony School and um, if they're still planning and they're going to be probably splitting the school um, we're supposed to hear today uh, but they're splitting the school elementary middle and high school because um, I think to limit numbers and whatnot. I don't know exactly, we're still in the planning, but we're limiting numbers and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know if my kids are gonna return. I don't have all of my, all of my school age kids are um, either middle school or high school. So uh, if they offer online uh, options, we will be staying home. Okay, well, we have about 10 minutes left. So I wanna use that time to kind of go around the table and ask everyone to, um, if you could share whatever contact information that you have for people who may want uh, information from your organization or who may want to donate or even uh, join your organization. We can start out with uh, Nicole. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, so Mutual Aid Masks is on the web at www.mutualaidmask.com. Um, you can both request the mask of your ability to pay, get into the queue, um, and you can donate. When you get into the queue, it does not require a donation. Um, two separate things. Um, so uh, even if you can donate, you donate whenever you want to donate, uh, when you get it or right away, or even if you don't ask for mask. Um, and then Pigeon Hill Pantry is only on Facebook at the time. We are working on getting ourselves a web presence, uh, but we are at uh, Pigeon Hill we are page on Pigeon on Facebook, Pigeon Hill Pantry. Um, we're pretty self-sustaining. The masks means our community support to continue to offer masks to larger community, especially those who are um, unable to pay. Uh, as far as help, we would love help. Anybody who's interested uh, in volunteering both materially, uh, potentially on a board or uh, or sewing, um, please. Uh, message me. There's a feedback form on the website, or you can get me at mutualaidmasks at gmail.com. Reverend Gilmore. Well, let, let me also add, uh, if you, if there's any, any last minute plugs you want to put in for something that we haven't covered, feel free. 
Oh, thank, thank you. Uh, and I mean, I think one of the things, you know, we, we've been uh, in some ways very fortunate in that we've been able to access uh, funding from the CARES grant from a variety of different sources that have allowed us to meet the demand and meet the need uh, um, to some degree, which has uh, been really wonderful. Where we've gotten uh, probably most impacted at Shalom is, is, is in just the day-to-day trying to make things work, the normal stuff that, that we normally um, would be trying to fund and trying to, to, uh, to deal with. So, for example, we, um, in, uh, back in May, we uh, had to postpone one of our big fundraisers, which is this um, solidarity sleep out, where we uh, sleep out and try and raise funds to, um, so others don't have to, the whole concept of sleeping out so others don't have to raising money. And that's a $50,000 fundraiser. That's, um, you know, that's a, that's a hit. That's a hit when we lose things. We're also looking at our, our potential, our, our, our big uh, gala in the, in the fall that we may not be able to run these things. So these are, those are kind of impacts that, that kind of don't get seen uh, that are day to day, like normal stuff that, but they have a huge impact on an organization like ours. So one thing that would be a huge gift uh, right now is we've decided to do a virtual sleep out, a virtual version of the sleep out. And that's actually at the end of the month. It's going to be July 24th, Friday night, where we're asking people to sleep out in their backyards or in their living rooms or however, um, and, uh, and to join that and to try and raise money for our overnight shelter friends place. Um, and so we would love for people to join that sleep out, to participate, to, um, to, uh, to do that, uh, you know, in their, in their yards or uh, in their living rooms or whatever feels good, families, all kinds of things to try and do that. And sign up is real easy. Just go to our website at shalomcommunitycenter.org and you'll be able to see where you can sign up for, for that. You can also find it as an event on our Facebook page. So we really, uh, we hope that people would support us in that way so that, that we can um, get close to making that, um, that money that we were hoping to make um, last May, that $50,000, because that's, that's a third, that's a little bit more than, a, a little bit less than a third of the, um, of the whole budget of the shelter. So it's, it's, a, it's a big impact. We already have one shelter that's closing down in a few days, uh, the Center for Women and Children from Wheeler Center. And we don't want another shelter to have to close down right. because of the ability to fundraise. So, um, so just I uh, hope people can keep their minds on the basics and, and that we can continue to do those emergency uh, uh, supports that are so essential, um, but maybe get lost in the in the crisis of corona of the coronavirus crisis. Uh, the housing authority, the best way to learn more about the work that we do um, and to apply for our programs um, in case um, that's needed is to check out our website. It's www.dhaindiana.net. Um, you can also call our office. It's 812-339-3491. Um, that's the main number. If you want to talk to me, my extension is 124. Um, we are accepting applications for housing programs through uh, public housing in the Crestmont community. And we also recently opened a wait list for our Reverend Butler and Walnut Woods communities. And those have recently uh, transitioned to the rental assistance demonstration program, which is a Section 8 project-based uh, subsidy tied to those. And we're investing um, close to $8 million in, in renovations in those communities. So um, that wait list is open for folks interested in Reverend Butler and Walnut Woods. 
and they'll be moving into a completely renovated unit um, with, you know, some new things like uh, dishwashers, which is really exciting for the housing authority, um, new kitchen cabinets, new flooring, um, energy efficiency, um, really excited about those. We should be wrapping up our first phase of renovations at the end of August and, and beginning of September. Um, and we would love to, you know, celebrate with everyone, have a barbecue, um, but don't think that's going to be practical in this world of social distancing. So we're going to um, be sharing some some photos of what those units look like and, and celebrate. Um, we also have a couple openings at the Housing Authority. We're hiring for an administrative assistant and also an assistant property manager. So if anyone's interested, check that out on the careers section, um, as well as working with some contractors that are doing the renovations in Reverend Butler and Walnut Woods. If you, you know, um, do anything in the construction trade, there's a lot of opportunity um, for jobs um, to help out with that project as well. So again, check out our website or, or give me a call on that. Um, we don't accept donations. We don't really need it. We have federal funding. Give your money to Mutual Aid Mass. Give it to the Shulam Community Center. Um, but I would ask that you lend your voice and do some advocacy. Um, check out the NARO website, National Association of Housing and Redevelopment Officials. They have some great tools um, to say that housing matters and funding um, for these programs is a top priority. Nicole. Um, yeah, I just wanted to leave with a mention that uh, there is MoCode, Monroe County or Organizations, Active in Disaster. We, Mutual Aid Mask is a member. Please participate in the Wear It B Town, Wear It MoCo. Take photo, tag us, tag, tag, show us your mask. <laughs> Just want you to know that my department has done that. So thank you, Nicole. We've already mm -hmm. done that. Um, I just I just wanted to say, uh, sort of piggybacking off of something that Forrest said, is, is that the normal work of your agencies, of the Housing Authority of Shalom Center, goes on, pandemic or not. You still have to do that. And so um, just want to make people aware that this is on top of everything else that you all do. I want to thank you all for everything that you do um, and, and want to reiterate how important self-care is because I know that as volunteers and as staff, you all are giving 150% and you've got to take care of yourselves too and, and, and take care of your staff um, because we're going to need you going forward. So thank you all so much for everything that you do. If nobody ever tells you that the, the community really, really appreciates all that you're doing. And so um, I just wanted to say that on behalf of Bloomington, um, I, I get to see a lot of what you do up close. And so I know um, that it's not easy, um, but, but very, very necessary. And I appreciate all three of you and so many of your colleagues out there that are, that are doing more. So. And with that, we come to the close of another extremely informative uh, broadcast. So we want to thank Reverend Forrest Gilmore, Executive Director of Shalom Community Center, Ms. Amber Scobie, Executive Director of the Bloomington Housing Authority, and Nicole Johnson of Mutual Aid Mast for joining us to discuss part two of safeguarding the homeless and low-income community and discussing strategies to help those who are marginalized and who are at high risk concerning this COVID-19 pandemic. 
Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We wanna make sure to share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address once again is bringiton at wfhb.org. If you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send that info directly to our Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, you can contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone with the help of WFHB News Department Director Cade Young. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Beverly Callender Anderson. And I'm William Hosea. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Mm-hmm.